Hi everyone, this is Yin and welcome to Growth From Failure. I wanted to create this show to highlight extraordinary people that inspire and motivate me to level up, but with a slight twist. I'll have conversations with people from a variety of professions, from investors to entrepreneurs to educators to athletes, because I enjoy hearing a really good success story from any discipline. But I wanted to view their story more through a lens of struggle or hardship and even failure. Because for me, the biggest lessons learned and opportunities to grow aren't from the wins or triumphs, but from the setbacks and defeat. So instead of reviewing their highlight reel with all the success and accomplishments, we'll talk about some of the bloopers that includes the mistakes and the rocky roads, which can be glossed over, but oftentimes more impactful to their mindset and success. I hope hearing their journey inspires you to not fear failing, but motivates you to reflect, to keep learning, and ultimately to keep growing. This is the story of Liu Zhang, who is the founding partner of Fusion Fund. She founded the venture capital firm in 2015 and focuses on investing in globally disruptive companies using innovative technologies. Liu has interest and knowledge in various subjects, from science and technology and engineering to healthcare and management and psychology. She's a true polymath with such an insatiable appetite for learning. And I'm not the only one to think highly of her. The World Economic Forum selected Liu as a young global leader in 2018, and she was selected to be on Forbes magazine's 30 under 30 list in venture capital, which gives you a little hint of how young she is. Prior to starting her own venture capital firm, Liu was founder and CEO of a medical device company focused on technology for the early diagnosis of type 2 diabetes, a medical device she created before turning 25. And these are just a few highlights to mention because if I were to list them all out, there wouldn't be much time for the actual episode. She has achieved so much success before the age of 30, and it's clear to me that this is just the beginning for Lou. So of course I had to ask, what in the world has she failed at? And I really loved listening to her thoughts on failure at an early age. This episode starts with her childhood. She was born and raised in Inner Mongolia and eventually ends up in California at Stanford University. When I asked Lou about failure, you'll hear about a test that really impacted her life. It's the National College Entrance Exam in China, called Gaokao, that was one of her most memorable failures. For those that aren't familiar, this is the test of all tests that a student takes in China. It doesn't just help you get into college, it literally determines which university you attend. And you'll hear how her performance from that test helped shape characteristics in Lu today, including her work ethic and her self-awareness. When we spoke about the genesis of her company's name, Fusion Fund, she referenced nuclear fusion, the concept that you bring together small elements and fuse them together to generate a huge amount of energy. Her company not only merges technology and innovation, it also mixes different elements, including culture. Lou has done a very thoughtful job of attracting talent that represents different genders, different nationalities, and maybe most critically, open-minded philosophies. She believes that different perspectives will be critical to innovation and global competition. For me, the word fusion brings to mind a sense of energy. And when I think about Lou's energy in being an investor and an entrepreneur and ultimately an avid learner, the fusion of her characteristics has created such a powerful force that I couldn't help but find her utterly magnetic. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Lu Zhang. Welcome to the show, Lou. Hi, Ying. There is so much I'd love to speak with you about to start. I really enjoy 
hearing about where people grew up. So maybe we can dive right in and start from there. Thank you for having me. I was born and raised in Inner Mongolia. And I actually, you know, Inner Mongolia is an independent province similar to Tibet. So there are lots of minority living there. And I'm one of the minority in China. So I grew up there and then I came to United States for graduate school. So I went to Stanford for graduate school, majoring in material science and engineering. So I did lots of research in Thin film, nano film, um, biosensor, and also lithium ion battery, three fine material. All sounds like pretty uh, fundamental yeah. research. But uh, <laughs> meanwhile, I really love about ecosystem at Stanford is they always encourage students to try to think about potential commercialization opportunity for our research, for our patent technology. So I was able to build a medical device company based on one of my patents. And it was focusing on type 2 diabetes early stage diagnostic. So I started a company when I was a student. After I graduated from Stanford, I sold the company. So that's my early kind of transition from material science researcher to an entrepreneur. So did you always, when you were growing up in Inner Mongolia, did you just love material science? Or how did you, first of all, how did you choose Stanford? But also, how did you choose that major once you got to college? Yeah, so I think when I was at college, the reason I chose that major is because I want to learn for sure anything about science, about engineering, because that's my passion. But material science is actually kind of a coincidence because I know some people from my high school, they learn material science and speak highly about a major. So I'm like, okay, it sounds like very fundamental technology, science, and also engineering major. So I could learn everything in this major. So that's the reason I choose that. After I started researching on this industry, I found more interesting topic, interesting subject. For example, during my college, I did research on carbon nanotube. It was uh, theoretically could be the strongest uh, material in the world. And also there's a concept in the science fiction about a space elevator. And the only material could make that happen was carbon nanotube. Actually, it sounds like Joe, but it truly one of the major motivation for me to choose Cumber Nanotube as one of my uh, research projects when I was at college. Because of that, when I came to Stanford, naturally, I also chose the same major material science. And also, I found super exciting that Stanford not only have very good research on fundamental side of the material science, they also have lots of collaboration with the industry. So I could quickly see the technology I work on become something commercialized, ready, and become a product could benefit the society. Did you think about any other college outside of Stanford or was it? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like Harvard was a big thing. Uh, Harvard, MIT, Columbia, all this Ivy League university. Actually, I got offer from them as well. And I spent the summer before I applied for graduate school in United States. I actually visiting all this Ivy League uh, university. I think, okay, the campus was beautiful. I'm pretty determined I want to apply for this university. So I applied. I got all the offers. I also got offer from Stanford. So to me at that time, originally, I was very determined to go to East Coast. But after I got this offer from Stanford, I'm like, okay, maybe I should think about whether Silicon Valley could be a good destination for me to do my research, to my graduate school. And yeah, I chose Stanford because I really like not only the university, but also the ecosystem here. And also I heard all this great story about tech innovator, all this great founder, and uh, they use the terrific technology to change the world. So which really make me feel super passionate about it. So I chose Stanford versus other Ivy League, traditional Ivy League uh, university. That's incredible. So at Stanford, you had a patent in basically a type 2 diabetic was yeah. it device? Can you tell me more about that? Or how did that come about for you? My technology is an only purely biosensor. It's a nano thin film biosensor. So it could detect very low PPM level acetone. 
So at the time, Arjun, I was thinking about industry application to just detect a gas leakage in the industry. But later, I found okay, my sensor was so sensitive; it could detect very low ppm level, like super sensitive, low intensity, and asymptote. So I tried to research on okay, what type of application this technology could be adopted. Then I found okay, it's a very good indicator for early stage type two diabetes. That's how I start to work on the whole idea. You know, originally it's not easy for a non-medical background or MD background student to think about that. But luckily, Stanford have this cross-discipline function that encourages students talk to other students from different department, and I was able to got all this feedback and be able quickly work on my company and the product based on all the information I gather. So you had mentioned、um, before we did this interview, but on a prior call, that you were en route to getting a PhD, and you. Most likely would have finished that path. What made you kind of stop your academic route and say, you know what, let's really pursue this entrepreneurial route? First thing, I really appreciate all the support from、uh, my advisor. My advisor was Professor James Lammer. He was a dean of engineering school at that time. He was a very, very good advisor, very good professor, super supportive. So I remember he talked to me saying that Lou, I really want my student to be successful, but that's not mean there's only one way to be successful. So. Yeah, to me, yes, research. I like technology. I like technology innovation. But on the other side, I really want to. I really feel super passionate and also motivated when I saw what I do become a product, actually functional and be used by people. For sure, like some of the research I did at the time, in ten years, twenty years, I will see a great outcome from it. I could publish very frontier paper, but、uh, the top tier paper. On the journalist, but the problem is, I want to say it now. I want to say it happen in the next few years. I want to be the one be able to push it to to become a production. So at that time, I realized, okay, research is a good is a good way for me to pursue that. But also, there's a alternative way for me to become entrepreneur. So whether I should continue become finish the PhD or just do a company, I hesitate a little bit. But I talked to lots of my mentor, including my advisor. I Clearly, see what I really want for my life, so I made decision. Just、uh, yeah, graduate the master and、I、continue work on the company. And I appreciate the ecosystem from Stanford that enables student to do that, and also the ecosystem not only enables student to make the choice, but also support us to continue as a entrepreneur to move forward with the company. I have to. Really showed that I appreciate all this help I got from university. Not only just the advisor, but also the resources, connections Stanford enabled me to get, and also all this mentorship I got. They helped me go through all this early days of running a company. To be honest, when I started, I know nothing about healthcare <laughs> system. But after like two years, I know everything about healthcare system. It's all based on lots of this good suggestion feedback I got from the mentor. And meanwhile, whenever I have a question, they were able to quickly connect me with the best people in this vertical field. I was able to get the the high quality feedback and be able to get the help. <laughs> and so you talk a little bit more about the network effect of university and mentorship and kind of sponsorship. How did you then go from being an entrepreneur, creating this medical device company, to then being a venture capitalist? Sometimes it's also you know things happen for a reason. And when I look back, I always feels like okay, such a interesting path I went through. When I was a founder, I never thought about becoming a VC. I was actually a little bit against the VC when I was a founder because everyone has stereotype. Some VC also have stereotype, and I was at the time it's like a combination of the type of people. 
that could like all different type of stereotype. I was young, I was immigrant, I was female, I was a female in tech and female in healthcare. So right. I remember <laughs> I talked to VC, they start to challenge me, okay, how old are you? I'm like, uh, 22, 23. He's like, I'm in this industry for more than 20 years. Why am I listening to you? I'm like, okay, <laughs> this type of challenge I faced a lot. So Yes, I met very good investor, but also this type of experience gave me a sense of feeling that, okay, maybe I should not be a VC one day. I should continue work on the company. But, you know, it's always a story that you become a person that you thought you'll never be. And I got the opportunity to join a local VC firm as a venture partner to look at deep tech and healthcare. Originally, my thought was, okay, I was interested in different type of innovation. I did a lot of work on the medical device and healthcare, but now maybe I could look at other type of the innovation, especially... With my background, material science, I also do a lot of simulation. I'm very interested in industry automation. I'm interested in AI. I was interested in cybersecurity. So that's an initial motivation for me to start looking at lots of companies as an investor from an investor perspective and also join this for VC firm as a venture partner. It's also a very good opportunity. I was only like 23, 24. So join as a venture partner is a, is a very good opportunity. And after a while, I found, okay, not many VC are doing early stage deep tech and healthcare investment in the industry. And I found a couple, I start to, you know, talk to family office, other investor about my thinking process and also my analysis about the whole ecosystem and the innovation trend. We're hitting bottleneck of business model innovation. We're looking forward to the next round of fundamental tech and technology application innovation. So after I talked with them for a while, they're like, oh, Lou, you should do a fund yourself. We should work with you. So that's kind of start to make me think about, okay, maybe I should do a fund myself. I thought about it for almost more than three months, about half a year, and I made the decision, yes, I'm going to do a fund. So I did a fund. I funded Fusion Fund in early 2015. That's the start of all the story for this firm. <laughs> and I, it, I'm not one to point out age or anything because I think age is just a silly number. But, you know, I want to highlight you were 25 when you started <laughs> yeah. Fusion Fund. Did you, I, you had mentioned there's investors and LPs and whatnot who said, you know, I've been doing this for two decades and you're barely, you know, yeah. that age. How did you get rid of that? noise and to say, you know what, I believe in myself, I'm confident, and I can do this. I don't think there's uh, any way for me to get rid of that noise. The noise is still existing, even till now. Now I'm not 25 anymore. I'm going to turn 30 this month. But people still saying that, oh, you're only 30. And <laughs> the average age in the Swiss industry is 46. So I feel like the lesson I learned is I just uh, get along with it. There always be challenge and stereotype while I'm working on things I want to do. And, uh, you know, sometimes I think still time existing for a reason but what I I think I appreciate my personality is whenever I saw someone try to challenge me I always try to prove them wrong but meanwhile you know I try to be objective about why they ask that question so I will no matter be a better myself I'll just uh, put together awesome team to make sure that we could really make things happen. So for example, when I started a firm, as you mentioned, I was 25. And yes, people challenged, oh, you're 25. Even founder tried to ask me like, how old are you? Because Asian even look younger. But later I start to put together a team. After I build up my track record a little bit and also have a very good portfolio, I start to build up my team. And I have a quite diverse team. I'm still the youngest among my partnership team. And I have partners age range from 40 to 50 
yes, they have much more experience, but also we have a diverse background. We have a diverse age range. We have a diverse background. We have a diverse gender ratio. We also have a diverse nationality. So all this diversity make me feel more confident about my firm and also our investment thesis because diversity is critical to innovation. From the firm itself, we already guarantee we have an open-minded philosophy to talk to founder and be able to catch the next big thing. And also along the way, yes, still, you know, people are still asking the questions, uh, especially 2017, I was on Forbes 3030 and also feature on E. And I have to admit, I try to hide my age uh, when I first started a firm because <laughs> unless people ask me, I don't need to see how old I am. Right. But after the Forbes 3030, everyone knows I'm under 30. <laughs> <laughs> so that's become a question no need to ask. So I have to still, you know, deal with it a little bit. But along the way, I, I'm more comfortable about it. And also, I recognize the reason people ask the question. But meanwhile, I'm ready to prove you wrong. I'm ready to prove you that with me and also with my team grow so fast, we're able to make impossible things possible. I love that so much. I, I want to go back to what you said earlier, that diversity is critical. And you'd mentioned, and I walk through the office and it's a very diverse team and all, yeah. to your point of age, but also of gender. And what I love about that is it seems like a thoughtful approach, like you proactively did that. What do you look for, whether it's in your team or in a portfolio company that you think is kind of the secret to success? Is it truly diversity of thought or could you elaborate a little bit more on that? I think it's not only about diversity, it's about the perspective, like an open-minded perspective. This perspective, even including like now we're always thinking about the global perspective, why it's important to innovation. When I talk to a founder nowadays, I'm always saying that now it's different from 10 years ago. As a local domestic United States founder, you still need to have a global perspective to think about whether you are going to be the top one in the world because competition going to be global in the future. Your biggest competitor may outside Silicon Valley, outside the United States. Your biggest market could be United States, maybe you have a second largest market outside United States as well. So all these different perspectives really is uh, critical for how big the vision we could have and how big we could grow in the future for the team. In terms of when I look at people to work with and also look at uh, people to invest, you know, one thing I really important to me is whether they're insightful. Insight is really important. Insight about the industry you're working on, insight about yourself, personal growth, insight about how to grow the company. Like for the team member, my employees in the company, I want them to have the right insight about the, the vision of the firm aligned with me and also be insightful about their own personal career path. Like what they want to be in 10 years, in five years, whether we, we could enable them to become that person and uh, whether they see themselves for long-term growth in the near future. And uh, for the founder, same thing, whether they have the right insight about the industry. Having the right insight, is especially long-term insight, will also enable them to make the right choice for the short term. Sometimes people don't have the insight, they just make a decision on the short-term return, which might not be a good thing for their long-term return. But when we saw a founder have this long-term scope, they were able to you know, have a more logical analysis, who to work with, what money to take, valuation, like long-term trend, how to work on the company while there's so, so much buzzword going on and so much craziness in the financial industry. You're in the financial industry as well. You know, sometimes capital could create such a crazy buzz, but whoever could make their own decision, be the independent thinker, do critical thinking, be able to make the right choice. Was that something that you were taught? I mean, you mentioned you have a lot of great mentors that really helped educate you or network you around the way, but all that was such sage advice that comes from, you know, 
70, 89 year old. And I hate to again, use age, but how did you learn all of that so quickly? And it's only been five or so years in the business. I feel like I learned a lot about, you know, operation level, the structure level runs a company. Definitely. I learned a lot from my mentor, from my past experience, but in terms of being an independent thinker, analytical thinker, somehow it came naturally with my personality since I was a little, I was pretty, I was very independent. And I have a very strong self-awareness. Even I was in Inner Mongolia, I'm so clear about who I want to be, what I want to do, and I'm making all the decisions for myself. So it does not, it's not normal, but I, I always be that person since I was little. So especially when I came to Silicon Valley, I really love it because I found lots of people are like me here. <laughs> so when people ask me, oh, did, did you experience a culture shock when you came to the United States in Silicon Valley? I'm like, no, I found my, I found it home because I met so many people. They're so straightforward. They're so independent. And also they, they have such a strong self-awareness. I am that type of person. And I feel so happy like uh, working around this type of person. Because of that, when I start to do company myself, start to run the VC firm, yes, yeah, sometimes choosing the harder way to go and uh, always be clear what I want to do instead of go with others may have some short-term hardness because it's not the easy way to go. But uh, to the end, I really get what I want. And even when people ask me, okay, you don't, you don't get much like social, you don't have work-life balance. I'm like, I'm okay with that because that's a decision I made. Mm-hmm. And I'm okay with all the things I have to be through because that's my choice. That's very important to me. There's a quote that I found that you did an interview with Forbes a few years ago. And the quote was, my personality is I wish for the best, I prepare for the worst. How do you prepare for that type of worst mentality? Do you approach it from venture capital being a bad investment, bad portfolio company, bad management team? Or I feel like maybe this is also a personal type of thing. For example, if anything happened and uh, like, for example, my partner, my team, they're going to, oh, so happy. Congratulations. Good thing. But for me, once in a, since I was thinking about it, it's okay. Maybe I could do it better. Maybe it could happen sooner. Okay. Maybe there's something may stop it from happening and what I did not do enough. So that's maybe the Asian thing. I always feel I'm not good enough yet. I have to be better and better. That's also kind of contribute to that code you mentioned. Always uh, prepare for the worst because I always only looking at the things that I'm not, I did not get it done. I did not really pay attention to the thing I already got it success. So <laughs> that's a good thing and bad thing. There's two, two sides of it and the uh, for sure, like me, and my team got pressure, especially my team. I got used to that. But on the other side, I think it's also become the self motivation for me to keep growing. Like when, for example, company raise a new round, all the firm, for example, lots of people were talking about, okay, Lou, your company, you run it. And for the past few years, you grow so fast. But for me, I never compare myself with uh, industry average. I always compare myself and also our firm to the best firm in the in the industry. And I said, okay, we have so many things are, are falling behind. We really have lots of work had to be done in order in five years, in 10 years, be able to catch up. So by aiming high, we're able to always keep all the team super motivated and be able to have the sense of ownership to really, you know, just move forward. And on the other side, I feel because of the engineering training, I'm a very logical person. So I always have a plan and talking to team. Okay, what is a mandate for? What is the goal? What is strategy for this year in five years? And uh, we build up this ecosystem, deal flow ecosystem and, uh, and also our database. And next year, okay, we have this foundation done, layer by layer, how step by step we build a, build a much stronger uh, ecosystem around Fusion, uh, build a stronger presence of the fund. 
And meanwhile, because we're a technical background, we also leverage lots of technology to increase the efficiency in the firm. For example, uh, we have our own database and we wrote script and the program ourselves to do the information updates and to the screening and be able to enable everyone to be higher efficiency. So there are lots of things we're doing like more structure level and also more logical to make the work better. And meanwhile, we're still aiming high. So So one of the questions I want to ask you is just overall risk-taking because the idea of you you know, forgoing your PhD, but also being a very logical thinker. Yeah, I think, you know, being a venture capitalist, the most important part is how to control the risk. Because we're dealing with risk every day. And we could not just say that it has risk, so we're not doing it. It's not, a, it's not a fundamental mandate for the VC. We're trying to invest in risk, but risk under control. So how we evaluate is very important. I feel as a former entrepreneur and also a technical background, I could do lots of logical analysis on the risk. So for example, we're doing early stage tech and healthcare company investment. So there's a couple of risks we have to manage, like, Technology risk, market risk, exit risk, team risk. So these four types of risks, so we're going to, you know, do a comprehensive due diligence on it and see which part we're familiar, which part we're not sure. Some risk we could evaluate with certain numbers. We could get validation from the markets, a certain number. You know, it's not something logically equal analysis. So we have just to take it. By combining all the information together, we're able to, you know, have a result that give us very clear indicator how much risk we have to take by investing in this company and how much we need to control in the near future and how we could control it. So by doing so, I feel it's more clear not only for me, but also for my team to do the diligence and now choose company to work with. Some company, when we first met, we know it's not really fitting to our thesis. For some company, although, you know, it's earlier stage, we see the clear pipeline along the way. And also we know how much we could help them. So we'll be confident to put in the capital. But to the end, you know, venture capital investment is investing risk and uh, we're being more logical one to try to control and manage risk. And meanwhile, we still, I always talk to my team that whenever you have a gut feeling on a company or a founder, just let me know. Because it's not easy for you to have a gut feeling, feel so strong, passionate about one thing. That's something not necessarily ecologically analysis, but maybe there's something big we don't want to miss. So it's all about ratio combined, like, I have 80% more logical investment. I have 20% moonshooting investment. Then to the end, we have this portfolio that we have both, you know, portfolio driver also have portfolio are, are growing steady and also sustainable. So this all sounds so wonderful. And I'm hearing sunshine and rainbows and unicorns. What have you done poorly? Like what have you failed at in life? Because all I hear is a really hardworking person who's a really curious, but also self-aware person. I haven't heard any failure yet? Have you faced it? And if so, I'd love to hear it because otherwise I'm thinking about like my kids, I'm like, how are they going to be like blue and how do they compete with people like you? Because so far you seem like you walk on water and you're not even 30 yet. So the reason we did not really tackle anything on failure is because we're talking about result of the result on doing things. But uh, for the day-to-day operation, you know, there's big things, small things. When I was running a company, I always joke about it. If I have one yes day per week, that would be wonderful, which means that when I was talking to people, like asking for, I got, I got turned down all the time. And when, when I have one day, lots of people are saying yes to me. That's a yes day. But if I, I could have one yes day per week, that's wonderful already. So if you're talking about failure, basically I'm having small failure every single day. I have to get used to it. I have to keep confidence and keep going. And when I start running the firm, same thing, like, uh, 
were, for example, approaching founder, especially very good founder, I have to be prepared that they're going to say no to me. I have a company that were chasing after them for a long time. And uh, that's why it's for startup firm. We're too young, we're too small. So they turn, turn down us. And uh, I have like investor don't want to work with us like because I'm a woman. <laughs> so I facing this small challenges every day. I feel that's good thing that I got prepared how to face a small failure. Then I know how to control the risk to not have big failure, no matter my life or my career. So this is about different perspective. And even about the investing company, right? That's the reason why we always talk about portfolio. If we only invest one, two company, the chances of failure is much higher. But we're investing a portfolio of company. For each fund, I'm investing 20 to 30 company. For sure, we'll have company are doing awesome, great IPOing, they're like merge acquisition. We, we for sure will have some company they're not doing well. They may go die. They may get out of business. But it's fine because we're doing portfolio risk management and I have other, maybe some 70% company doing great to cover that uh, failure I have. And we're able to also allocate, try to better allocate our time and asset to the better performing company. So it's all about the control and also make the risk under control, make the failure ratio under control. So have you had that you mentioned about investing or underwriting businesses? Some do great and phenomenally well and others who don't do so great. Have you had that you know, really tough investment that you've written it down to zero or close to zero? And how do you think about that in terms of lessons learned? Yeah, I feel like, you know, for every single company, when we invest in them, for sure, we, we have full confidence on it. But sometimes things happen for the company. We have company like uh, founders, awesome companies call some, but founder, you know, all of a sudden got hit, got hit by the car, had a car accident and have some like really tragedy thing happen in the family and make him enable, unable to continue run the company and the company are struggling right now. So this is the thing that out of our control and we have to think about how to better prepare for that. For example, how we could better do the portfolio management, how we could better think about potential exit for the company. One company are still doing well. We could not think about the exit for the company to the point company are trembling. We have to think about maybe half year or a year in advance be able to do that. So I think one thing I start to do more starting from fund two is we start to do access analysis when we're investing company. For fund one, we're still doing exit analysis, but that's not make it official in the due diligence. But for fund two, all the company we invested from the day one, we're making exit analysis to see what is the potential for exit. And in case anything bad happened, anything, any risk out of our control, we're able to also protect our interests, also protect founders' interest. I love how everything you take is a, a lesson learned, whether it's it's a good investment or also a failed or unlucky investment. It seems that you always find a way to get better through that, which is, I just find incredible. What is the most impactful failure that you've ever had personally or professionally? Personally, I would say that when I was young, like high school stage, I actually, you know, in China, they have this national college uh, entrance examination. And to me, maybe it sounds a little bit funny to some people, but to me, in my past 30 years, that's the most attacking failure I had. When I look back, actually, it's not a big deal at all. And originally, like, everyone think I'm going to be the number one, I'm going to go to the best university in China. And I ends up like top, top five university in China, still not bad when I look back, but it was not the number one. It was a number five, something like that. So when I, at that time, because I was young, I was in high school, I was at the age that I think I'm going to have everything, but all of a sudden, it's so different from everyone's expectation. Actually, it's a good lesson for me when I look back. My personality, I may not have be so humble as I am now. 
at that time. But because of that, I all of a sudden realized, okay, this result is because the choice I made. And I have to be responsible for the choice I made, but also I have to work harder and be a better person to prepare for that. The reason I got that failure is actually somehow my own reason because I did not work hard. I just take chances. I think I'm smart, so I could just uh, get whatever I want. I don't need to do. I don't need to be a hardworking person because just naturally I got lots of things. I I I got very high score. I got lots of this award. I jumped. I was talented on lots of things. I was not hardworking at the time at all. But then, you know, the fact hit me, the reality hit me that you have to pay back and you have to work on things if you really want to get the end result for your choice. So after that, you know, I still like go through college. I still get admission to Stanford. So after I came to Stanford, I work very hard. And when my no matter friends from the high school met me when I was at Stanford, they're like, "Oh, Lou, you're different now. You work so hard." I was determined, but now I'm determined because I know I put time on it. When I put time on it, I know it's gonna happen. It just happens sooner or later. Well, I love that because if yeah. that didn't happen and you didn't have that failure in high school, who knows who you'd be? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's I, I when I look back, I really, really appreciate it. And now, you know, I always think about there are so many smart and hardworking people in the world, so many smart and hardworking people in Silicon Valley, and I got all this great opportunity, so I could not waste it. If I waste it, I'm actually disappointing everyone because there are so many much smarter and more hardworking people. They did not get the opportunity I have here. So when I got it, I have to work hard on it. I have to make sure I be able to achieve something. I'll be able to generate something. I'll be able to pay back to the society. Yeah. Who or what inspires you? The thing really inspire me is I really truly believe that what we always talk about in Silicon Valley: change the world, become rich. But the most important thing is to change the world. I really want to be an influential person one day, be able to change the world. For sure, like financial return is important. That's the work I'm doing right now, and also it's critical for something to be influential. But、uh, the end goal is to be a person, be able to change the world. I mean, that's a you know a, just a small little goal to have, <laughs> <laughs> which I love. When you think about mentorship and sponsors, you were lucky enough, you said, to have come across many at Stanford now、yeah. in the Silicon Valley. Do you? Try to think. Okay, let's pay back and do you volunteer or do you give back、yeah. to whether it's minorities or females or how do you think about? Yeah, yeah, I, I actually do a lot. I work closely with Stanford Engineering School and they have lots of this diverse diversity program. Especially now, the dean of engineering school is a female. The provost at Stanford is a female too. Is well, it was the dean of engineering school a couple years ago. So I was trying to spend time. I was meeting. Actually, I was meeting with with the dean's office tomorrow to discuss how we could better contribute to help encourage more. Female to apply for engineering school, graduate school, and in,、uh, encourage more female students to think about re- even do something by themselves. I'll become a professor just to make the choice for their own career. And meanwhile, I do just general mentorship to founders because I really want to spend time with founder. When I was a founder, I have lots of struggle. I have lots of challenge. I would wish someone could tell me certain things to deal with and how to do with investor, how to evaluate the, the capital. And certain type of the suggestion, honest feedback. So I'm doing that to the founder now. So I also got appreciate. I really、uh, happy about it. Sometimes even for the founder talk to us, I decide to pass on them. They still send founder to me because they feel the feedback we give is very honest feedback. And sometimes when I saw founder, the first pitch he did is to us, I will give him like even feedback on the. 
deck and also how to run the thinking process, the flow of the presentation. I also sometimes write article to share with the founder. I share the industry report with the fellow investor. I also do mentorship like at Stanford, like other incubator, like a Singularity, NASA, to spend time with them. So you seem to do way too much in a day. Do you sleep? <laughs> I, I sleep a little bit, but I don't really have personal life. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm very happy you did not ask the work-life balance questions <laughs> because I have no balance. I have no no suggestion on how to keep a balanced life because I have zero. <laughs> well, your but, work is your life, it seems, but you seem to be okay with that and if not, yeah, enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, I enjoy it. As I mentioned earlier, like this is a choice I made. So I'm happy to take all the consequences of the choice. Yes, I don't have any life. That's my choice. If one day I want to have a life, I think I, I might be able to do that. <laughs> but now my choice is I really want to make this company successful. I really want to help my founder be successful. I want to make sure we have a very rapid growth in the next few years. And there are lots of things we still need to do better. And we have to work on it. And that's the thing I feel passionate about it. So you have a really special tech background in terms of both your education, but also your interests, whether it's science or technology or AI, you mentioned. When you're looking at these companies and you're talking to the management teams, what do you think is a bigger driver or if it's the same? Is it the technology and the skill and the product or is it the management team and the qualitative skills that they have and whether it's the self-awareness or the inspiration they have? What is, do you think, the most important part of what you look for in this talent in the team? Yeah, it's hard to conclude it with one thing or one sentence. I would say that I really want to see the founder have a clear insight of what they want to do with the technology, how big the impact they want to have with this technology. Then it involves their analysis, the technical barrier, like a commercialization opportunity, the cost, everything. But they have to have a very clear insight about what I want to do in three years, five years and long term. That that's really matters to me. Because otherwise, a founder does not think it's true. That's the hardest part for me to tell him. I could tell him, okay, you should have this vision for, for this company, but that's not his vision. And he's a captain to, to drive this. And uh, I'm the supporter. I could now tell him about the vision, about what his short-term, long-term plan. But for others, we could support. So you said you want to change the world and your part, whether it's as a venture capital investor, as a, you know, operator and assistant to the management teams. How do you think that would happen? How do you think, you know, if you're going to forecast 40, 50 years from now, how you would think you would change the world? Short-term plan, I still want to make this for one of the top tier firms in the Silicon Valley on San Hill. And it may take the next 10, even 20 years for me to make it happen. I was in this 40 years anniversary party for of NEA. NEA has 40 years anniversary party. I'm like, oh my God, this VC firm being there for 40 years are one of the best VC firm on, in San Hill. And that's my goal. I want one day, like not only myself, but also my firm and the Fusion Fund become something people really look up to and people feel so proud to become part of the Fusion Fund, no matter as an investor or as a founder. Hopefully in the next 10 or 20 years, I could get it done. And uh, I think that may make a difference in the in the ecosystem, in the community, not only in terms of the growth of a new fund, but also about the perception. Having been a like immigrant funded VC from being very successful frontier in the valley yet. And we I hope we could be one of it in the near future. After that, you know, I'm type of person I always want to go with the trend. I have a clear goal of what type of person I want to be, but uh, for how to achieve that goal, I think I uh, have to go with the trend. I don't think any individual could really uh, manipulate the trend or change the trend, but the trend comes and go. And as an individual, I'm going to go with it to see what opportunity present in front of me. And uh, what I need to do is make sure I was ready 
be able to take that opportunity and make the most from it when they came to me. That's incredible. So you'd mentioned that you want to be the best, you'd want to help Fusion Fund be one of the best top tier uh, venture capital firms on Sand Hill. What are some of the attributes of those top firms that you look at now and aspire to be? What are some of those common characteristics? I don't think size is necessary metrics because size is important, but more important is become a fund reputable, generate very good return for the investor. Reputable, have a very good reputation among the founder and also have a group of very successful company backed and invested by us and successful exit IPO merge acquisition. I think that's a fundamental thing. But most important, I feel like we have a clear mandate, a clear a thesis and we're able to become the industry leader guided the capital not only from our fund but also from the VC industry in general to invest into the right company one thing sometimes I feel a little bit worried is if VC does not make the right choice you know it sends back the wrong signal to the founder like founder feels like okay I think that's a trend but the VC investing in that company that company does not really have a good technology but they like to do lots of PR marketing and somehow so that's all the wrong signal and uh, big VC will successful big VC and the leader industry industry will be able to send a strong signal, be able to guide other investor to direct the capital to the right direction. So I think to me, that's a very important metrics for us in the future to become a one of top tier VC. Other thing is uh, create an ecosystem around the firm. Like as a VC firm, yes, now it's still a very simple way, investing company, portfolio management, exit. But if you become a very successful VC firm, we also have to create our own fusion ecosystem around us, including founder, including successful entrepreneur, including big corporation, work closely with us, including all these industry experts, including all these upper dream, downstream like uh, companies we could work with. Then we're able to enable our founder once they come into our ecosystem to really express this hyper growth instead of they have to do everything themselves. So that's something I want to achieve one day. I love that. Is that how you came up with the name Fusion Fund? Is thinking about that conceptually? Yeah, Yeah, I really like Fusion. It came out from nuclear fusion. So thinking about nuclear fusion is the first time very similar to early stage investment. We just used very diverse, uh, different small element and fuse together and generate a huge amount of energy. I love that. Well, I am rooting for Fusion Fund to be a top tier VC fund. I think it's well on the way. Thank you. Well, Lou, thank you so much for joining. This is such a fun conversation. Yeah, thank you, Ian, for having me. I really like the conversation. Mm 